God designed all of us for relationships, where people are investing in the lives of others. Discipleship works best within life-on-life -life engagement. Modeling what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ. just got back from Katie to preach this sermon this morning. I don't have nearly the voice I need to have to, to preach this, this sermon this morning. So I'm gonna be counting on the Holy Spirit to meet me halfway, all right? All right. Guys, uh, I wanna tell you about camp. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about camp today. Um, but, uh, but before then, I wanna go back five months. Five months uh, to our discipleship team's mission trip. Um, now, just a little bit of backstory on what these trips are. Every year we do a spring mission trip and we've worked with all sorts of different organizations like Reach Global, uh, the Dream Center. Uh, we've worked with Union Gospel Mission and we've coordinated trips with a lot of different organizations. And every single one of these organizations is a little bit different, um, have different denominational distinctives, uh, but at the same time, they keep the main thing the main thing and that is Jesus. So it's always usually pretty easy to partner with them. This last year was one of the most difficult times I've had in over 20 years of ministry, 17 of full-time ministry. When we went on this trip, uh, we went with an organization that uh, advertised that they were a mission, a Christian mission to the Yakima people and the Yakima tribes people. And I met them at the National Youth Workers Convention in Tampa, in Tampa Florida, a couple years before this. I thought this is a good trip because it's just in our backyard and uh, it's nice to be able to serve in such a way that's you know, right here at home. Uh, and so we train for these mission trips. Uh, every student who goes on these mission trips has to raise $600 to go on to these trips um, and also has to train for nine months in order to qualify for this trip. Every week they have to be at our discipleship team meetings. And so it's, it's a big deal when we head out on mission. Uh, and so we did. And uh, this was one of the best teams that I ever got the pleasure of working with. Um, it's an incredible, incredible experience. The way in which we train for these things is we do just discipleship. We do a full hour every single week of Bible study, inductive Bible study. I call it big old chunky scripture. We, we, we start right at the, the, the top of a, a big old chunky scripture and we work our way through and we work towards understanding what the original author wanted these verses to mean. And we do that every single week. And then the next, the next hour after that, we uh, plan youth group. So our students at this point, when they're ready to go on mission, they are revved up. They've been well discipled and they're ready, they're ready to go. This year was unlike any other year. The second we showed up um, on, the, on the reservation, there was something off, and it was something spiritually off. It was, it was, it was a, it's strange to even explain it or to put words behind it, but there was a spiritual oppression the second we stepped into this place, and it wasn't coming just from the outside, it was coming from the organization that we had partnered with. Our, our, our students were being antagonized and it was weird because it felt like they were being antagonized for their faith in Jesus. I thought we had partnered with some place that was like 
and they'd advertise on all their website and all that stuff. We even sent, you know, people over there beforehand to make sure this was a safe mission for us to be on. Our kids would pray and they would be told to stop praying. Our, our kids would worship and they were told to stop worshiping. When they opened up the word of God to, to sort of discuss it, um, they were told that they were, they were wrongly understanding those things. And it was, it was two days into the trip and it just felt completely wrong. And, and then cultural day happened. We were taken to a ancient, what they described as an ancient monument, an ancient burial ground for what they called a, a giant, um, a spiritual giant. Uh, and, and we got there, it was literally just on the side of the freeway right there. We walked up to it and it was just a bunch of garbage that had been spread out there. And it was, it was strange. Um, and then they asked us to pray to this God, La Mama, and to offer sacrifices to it. To which our students politely de declined. <laughs> to which I politely declined. It took us up in two different groups and it was a strange thing. I, afterwards, I, I confronted our lead, the person who was with us, and I said, hey, we will not be worshiping or offering prayers or anything to anybody who's not named the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. Right? And the guy who said, oh, no, no, this is a big misunderstanding. Let, let's talk about it. I said, no, we need to talk about this right now. He said, no, 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 let, we're gonna, we're, we'll talk about this, but, but, uh, but we have to get to this next thing. I said, no, we need to talk about this now. Guy jumped in his car and left and, and then left the mission, left us there with kind of his lieutenants. And so we, we come back to the place we're sleeping. And I had to make a really, really hard decision. For the first time in 17 years of full-time pastoral ministry and over 20 years of ministry experience, I made the decision to pull our team from that mission, to leave, to walk out of there. Um, I told our leaders, I said, this is what I want to do. They confirmed. They said, we feel the same way. Our kids feel confused and hurt. We need to get out of this spiritual oppression. We went to the kids and we said, hey, what do you guys think? This is what we want to do. And they said, we trust you. They don't want us here. And we think God's got something else for us. And so we did. We packed up our stuff and we left. We still had two days left on this mission. And my idea at first was just to go home. Like, call your parents, tell them mission trip's over, and we're going to be home two days. But God and the students had other plans. They wanted to continue to serve somewhere. And so I just put out on a youth ministry forum on Facebook, said, hey, I got a bunch of teenagers who were supposed to be on mission, but for some really big reasons, we can't do this anymore. Is there any churches that would let us sleep in their church and perhaps serve them in any way? Within an hour, we had 11 churches who had opened their doors to us in the Yakima area. Within, within two hours, we had a church who came right to us and said, hey, 
we've been praying that God would send us people because our campus needs to be ready for Easter in two days. And we got all sorts of stuff. It was a Spanish-speaking, Christian-believing, Bible-believing campus. And they said, can you show up tomorrow morning and will you help us with this thing? I said, absolutely. That night, we opened the Word of God for really the first time on the trip. And as the kids read the Word of God, we cried together because we were so spiritually deprived on this trip. We worshiped louder and sweeter than we ever had. I called up uh, Trev, who was actually, he was, he, well, we, he's one of our uh, worship leaders, but he was just up the road about half an hour at college. And I said, I, I can't explain everything to you right now, bro, but I need you to bring your guitar and your heart and your, and your, and your loud, stinking voice down here right now, um, because these kids need to worship. He showed up, just, just showed up with his guitar, and they worshiped sweetly in that place. The next day, we prepared the campus of this Spanish-speaking church in Yakima for Easter, and our kids worked so hard, and they worshipped while they worked. And I was, I was mostly on the phone this day trying to figure out the next piece of this because I have to now plan a complete mission trip on the fly. Um, but there was a song that they kept playing over and over and over again, and they would sing a part of it that wasn't the chorus. You know how most of us just sing the choruses louder, you know, because that's the part we kind of know? Well, there was, there was a verse in there that they kept like almost screaming and I couldn't figure out what it was, but then I finally listened, I finally heard it. And it, the, here's the words that they were screaming. I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. Whew. They knew. I don't know if there's a teenagers in America who have been literally put in front of idols and told to worship. And these kids stood strong in their faith. They rose to the occasion. And the rest of the mission trip, I watched as these kids who were disciples of, of, of Jesus, people that I was discipling, start to disciple each other. They became disciple makers themselves. They became what you call self-feeding Christians. They were worshiping on their own. They were praying on their own. They were opening the word of God on their own. And it was one of the most incredible things to behold. And we believe to this day that this is the mission trip that God had for us. We just didn't know it. Right here is Pastor Havel. He's the Spanish-speaking pastor. He ended up being just an actual dude, like a, a legit dude. He was working at this church um, as their pastor. He's only been there for a few years. But before that, he was the president of the, uh, of the Mexican branch of Campaigners International. And what they do is they paint gospel pictures and they, they share the gospel through that. And so we, he got, came back and he shared his powerful testimony. Now we have this partnership with him. He's come here and painted pictures for our students and taught them the gospel in that way. It's an incredible thing that happened in this moment when our students became disciples who make disciples. And they became self-feeding Christians. I want to suggest you guys this morning this. A healthy Christian is a self-feeding Christian. A healthy Christian is a self-feeding Christian. Now I want to sort of explain this really quick. Because that sounds weird if you just showed up to church for the first time. When we understand the things of God, as Christians, we understand when we read the word of God or when we pray or when we go to Bible study or we come to church, that that is a, that is a meal. That is a spiritual meal. Um, that is what it is to be fed. 
But in our consumerism as Americans, oftentimes our gripes with our church or our churches throughout our life is the same gripe. I'm not being fed. I'm not being fed. Like little birds who are just in the nest with their mouths open and their mama has to come and regurgitate the food to them. The American church is filled with, with not little birds, but big old fat ones, all right? <laughs> that just keep their mouth open and say, feed me, feed me, feed me. And the expectation is that your church and your pastors are, are, are to spend our days regurgitating the word of God to you and so that you can be well fed. Well, those are types of birds never, ever fly. Every little baby bird needs to leave the nest at some point and learn how to feed themselves. Now, when I shared this with the middle schoolers, I made the mistake of calling these fat chicks. Um, <laughs> I didn't recover from that sermon. <laughs> the point is, is that we have to become self-feeders. We have to become the type of people who can recognize spiritual oppression the way in which we do ministry and do life as Christians, I believe is going to change over the next 20 years pretty dramatically. And it's going to be very, very important for the people of God to be well discipled and ready for those moments. So I want to take us through a premier set of verses, some chunky verses. And I want us to sort of look at this because I think that the heart of the discipleship that we need to become, the self-feeding Christians that we need to become, lie in these verses. At the end of Matthew, some of the most pivotal verses in the entire Bible, it's Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. But I want to start right before a lot of people start. In verse 18, it says this, Then Jesus came to them. Now, Came to who? The disciples, the 11 disciples, the 11 apostles. Why were there 11? Well, because Judas had just betrayed Jesus and there's only 11 of them. And what, what had happened right before this? Well, Jesus had died and he had been raised to new life after three days. And he calls his disciples to himself. And he says this, then Jesus came to them and said this, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Now, he's saying this to set up the next thing he's going to say, but there's still stuff here that we have to understand and we have to get. Now, Christians, those who follow Jesus, the center of our faith is Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who made a way for us. He's the one who said to us, you can come too. That is, that is what Jesus, so what is he saying here? He's saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's telling, he's telling those 11 disciples, any authority that you think you have, any authorities that you think you need to submit to, that's all gone now. What you need to understand is it's all been given to me. So getting back to the feeding language, I want to suggest this. To self-feeders, Jesus is the superfood, right? Now, I cringed when I wrote this because I hate this, this word here, superfood, right? Um, because my trainer and people who I talk to about nutrition, 
they're always talking about superfoods. And every time they try to get me to eat these superfoods, they're gross. They're disgusting. They are the worst thing ever, right? And they're the opposite of junk food, which is the best thing ever, you know? And so when I saw this, when I, when, I, when I kind of built this, I'm like, I know what's being said here. I know what I need to say, that Jesus is the superfood. But I was afraid that when I came here, some of you guys would have the same reaction I have. Is he saying that Jesus is gross? Is Jesus is disgusting? No. What I'm saying is like a superfood, like kale, you know? It is hard. It takes discipline to put that thing in your mouth to chew it up and let, it, and let that aftertaste just sit there for a while. But if you do, it means that you become healthy. And if you do it enough, your body responds in an incredibly powerful way. I don't know why God played this trick on us. I don't know why he did this. I don't know why sugar tastes so good and kale tastes so bad and, and kale's actually good for you and sugar kills you. I don't know why that happened. Maybe it's this. That discipline is always going to be hard. But those of us who discipline ourselves become healthy Christians. We become self-feeding Christians. And so how, how do we do this? Now, this is, I'm still talking in analogy here, really, about food, about all this other stuff. How do we make Jesus our superfood? How does that even happen, TJ? Well, let's get a little bit more clear. We have to have a relationship with Jesus. Some of you guys, all of your problems of your relationship with Jesus would be fixed by actually having a relationship with Jesus. And that's it. People, I pray. I, I, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It's like the guy who says he eats kale all the time. And then, you know, it's obviously he's not eating just kale all the time, you know? We have to have a relationship with Jesus. Well, what does that mean? How do we get even more clear than that? Well, what is a relationship? A relationship is comprised of two things, talking and listening. Some of us are better talkers and some of us are better listeners, right? And in, the, in a marriage, you usually have both sides of that coin, okay? Some of us are better talkers. Some of us are better listeners. But if we're going to be good in this relationship, if we're going to eat this superfood that is Jesus, what we need to do is learn to talk to him through prayer. We have to discipline ourselves, especially those of us who don't spend a whole lot of time talking. We have to, we have to discipline ourselves to actually talk to God. We have to learn to talk to God. Some of us have never really prayed in public. Some of you guys have been Christians for a really, really long time. And when you go to Bible study, you're like, do not pick me for this because I've never done this before. We need to learn to talk and to love to talk to God through prayer. Now, there's all sorts of different ways to pray. There's all sorts of different ways. If you're somebody who's like, man, I can't think of the words. Memorize a prayer. There's all sorts of prayers in the Bible. The book of Psalms is just a bunch of prayers. If, if, if somebody, if, you're, if you have a hard time praying, use worship as a tool to get you to pray. You know what worship is? Like the way we do contemporary praise music, it's just pretty prayers. Now somebody said, no, that's not just what worship. No, it is. <laughs> it is. It's really pretty. But the, all that matters is that those words that are on the screen become words that are, reflect our hearts. And then we proclaim them. 
So yeah, maybe some of you guys just need to use worship to get yourself to praying. The other one is we need to listen to God. We need to hear him. Now, I think that a lot of us are confused on what it means to hear from God. I think there's two sides of this coin too. There's people who any feeling that they have is a voice of God. God told me to do this. God told me to do this. God told me to do that. Maybe, you know, but God is not a feeling. I'm gonna say that again. God is not a feeling. He's a being. And he has things he actually wants to say to us. And then, and then there's, and in that way, we have to understand when he says stuff to us. So it's okay for you to feel like God is saying something, but you need to check it. And great for us, we actually have the written words of God where recorded in his word. So what do we do? We pray and we read our Bibles. That is how we have a relationship with Jesus. It's simple. That's why your pastors or your whole life have been telling you the same thing over and over again. Did you pray? Did you read your Bible? And you're like, man, did they learn anything else in seminary? No, because this is, these are the two elements of what it means to have a relationship with God. It's like a trainer saying, did you exercise? And did you, did you eat right? Those are the two things. And everything else is just extra nuance to confuse the main thing. And the main thing is pray, read your Bible. Pray, read your Bible. And that is how we consume this superfood that is Jesus. Now let's jump into verse 19. What does it say? Therefore go and make disciples of all the nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I want to say this about self-feeders since that's what we're talking about this morning. Self-feeders will feed others. Self-feeders will feed others. You want to grow in your relationship with God? Put yourself in a situation where you have to serve other people spiritually. Now that doesn't mean that like anybody here can just stand up and be like, well, I'm pastor now, right? You know, like I am the captain now, you know? Um, it actually takes qualification and calling to, to become that. But if you know one more thing than somebody else about Jesus and you tell them that one thing, what you've just engaged in is the discipleship making process. And there's no age or qualification it takes to start to declare these things. Self-feeders often feed others. They make enough food spiritually so that others can enjoy some food spiritually too. It's the way it works. And like I said, you don't have to be a certain age. I know this because I, I, I've watched my son do it. And, and he's not, he, he's, he's, a, he's a total introvert, you know? He, he, he would die to be on this stage right now. Next service, he's gonna be here. He's gonna hate that I'm talking about him, right? He's just gonna have to learn to deal with that because I, that's what I do, you know? But I watched him two years ago. We got this baseball team that I'm the head coach of because no other parent signed up for that misery, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I, I coach this thing and I've coached it now for a lot of years. Um, and there's the, the same kind of group of kids that we always end up drafting because we just, we, our parents and us, we like to do life together. Um, but it became really obvious to us, to me and to Max and to Britt, that we really wanted to, 
as a family, get these families to come to church with us, to be a part of Grace Point. And so Easter was coming up. Easter was coming up. And I told Max, why don't you invite your baseball team to Easter? People are always looking for churches on Easter. That's the one time they'll show up. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, it's weird. It's like magic. Like non-Christians show up for Easter. (laughs) You know, he's like, all right. So he did. He invited his old baseball team, the White Sox, to, to Easter. And that day, our, uh, our children's worker at the time got sick. This is kind of when all the COVID scare was still kind of really heightened. And so any sickness was like, you know, you know shunned, you know, exercised and all the rest. Um, and so I ended up last minute being the preacher in the children's church thing. And all I did was I shared the gospel. First, second, first service, second service. And then third service comes. And in the back row, I see these little black hats And I look at them, and they're all White Sox hats. There's seven of them. And there they are. The baseball team is there. They're goofing off, right? Because that's what they do. And like I told you, it's been miserable. (laughs) And there's Max right in the middle of them with a big grin on his face, right? I share the gospel. And I don't know what I said. I just just shared the gospel with these kids. And I do what I always do. Bow your heads. You know, I'm really cliche youth pastor. Bow your heads, close your eyes, raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus. All seven of those kids raised their hand to receive Jesus. Every single one of them. I went up to Max afterwards. Peak? He said, of course I peaked. You know? And I was like, did you see? He's like, yeah, they all had their hands up. But this isn't just, this isn't just about converts or Easter or emotions. This is about disciples who make disciples. So we kept inviting them to kids' church and to all these things. In the last couple of years, they've been here. They just keep coming back. And now all these kids who are in kids' church are now middle schoolers. And that's, they're way more annoying than they ever were before, but <laughs> they're here and they love Jesus. And so this happened at camp a few days ago. A holy ground moment. What you don't see in this picture is my son because he's being baptized. He's being baptized by four of his White Sox players, by his whole cabin at, at youth group. You see, you see me and his mom on the outside just trying to put a hand on him in this moment. And he comes out of the water and the first person to hug him is this catcher for the last four years. Now, I don't know if you guys know about baseball, but after you throw a perfect game, it's usually the catcher and the pitcher who hug. And this was that perfect game. There it was, disciples who make disciples. Now, yes, Max is a pastor's kid, but he doesn't know anything about seminary. He doesn't know anything about all the ways in which you can share the gospel. All he knew is that he needed to share this Christ, this this Jesus with his friends, this superfood with his friends. And in this moment, you can see this beautiful thing happening where he comes out of the water greeted by all of his bros in that moment. And then right before that, he baptized three of them. You guys feel it? You see it? Self-feeders will by nature feed others. If you're struggling in your faith this morning, what you need to do is put yourself in a position where you serve. We need help in children's ministry. We need help in youth ministry. We need help in guest services. We need help all around this church. If you put yourself in a position where you will serve, 
you will by nature be discipled. And it will just happen. Let's jump back into scripture and look at this last verse. It says this. After he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it says this. And then teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want to concentrate on these words here. I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I want to suggest this. A self-feeding faith is a faith that recognizes and enjoys the presence of God. A self-feeding faith is a faith that recognizes and enjoys the presence of God. Now, I know the theological understanding here is there's no place that God isn't. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. So sometimes when, I, when we pray for God's presence, I under, I, I, I'm like, oh, what are we doing here? But I do know this. There is moments where God allows himself to be more recognizable than normal. To be more in this moment and to be more seen. And the only way to recognize and enjoy that is to be a self-feeding Christian. Someone who is taking in Jesus. Somebody who's praying and reading their Bible and recognizing those things. Because God shows up sometimes in the little tiny moments, but also the massive moments too. Which brings me to this picture. Hope you guys can see this, especially online. Um, this is a picture we took right after Max's baptism. But it wasn't just Max's baptism. We set a record for baptisms at camp this week. We baptized 38 campers this week at camp. It was awesome, you know? There was, there was people in the water going, two more, two more, let's get to 40. I'm like, that's not how this works, guys, you know? My youngest wanted to be baptized so bad, he's six years old, but I want him to remember it. I want it to be his decision. So I told him to wait, you know? This picture, we were walking back after these holy ground moment. Everyone's tears and hugging. We're walking back from the, the beach and someone yells out, Pastor TJ, look, look back. And look back. We all look back. And this cloud had turned to complete orange right over there. And as you can see right here, this is a rainbow. There wasn't raining. This is a rainbow with an arrow pointed, right? And it looks like it's pointed at the blob. It's not, right? It's pointing in the exact spot where we just baptized 38 people. So what was that? Well, when you recognize the presence of God, you know what God's doing. He's painting for us. He's putting on a display. He's telling us he is well pleased with this moment. 38 souls are saying to, to everyone else publicly, I believe in Jesus and I don't care who knows about it. And so what does God do? He builds a shrine in the sky pointing to it. You see what's going on here? Self-feeders recognize and enjoy the presence of God. How incredible was that moment? Right? And there's... there's Literally 270 witnesses to these miracles. Every, I didn't have to get up there and preach and be like, well, you guys see this arrow and blah, blah, blah. The kids just knew it. We just got to enjoy it. We just got to just breathe it in. And how amazing was that? See, if you grow in your faith to a place where you're feeding yourself regularly, spiritually, you'll see stuff like this on the regular.
I get people always asking me this. TJ, do you make up these stories? <laughs> do you make them up? Because you seem like you got more stories than other people. And I, I don't. I just write them down every time they happen. I just recognize and I enjoy them. That's what I do. I have a whole list on my phone. I wish I could take you through it. it, it it's super, super long. And it has, it has the story. It has the last time I preached it so I don't preach the same stories over and over and over again. And, and the points that were made by it. Why? Because if you're a self-feeder, if you're a mature Christian, you will every day recognize the presence of God and you will enjoy it. And you, some of you guys need to start doing that. When God does something, write it down. I just put it as a note on my phone. Here it is. This is what God did. So when I preach, I got plenty of things to talk about, plenty, plenty of God sightings. Why? Not because I'm making it up, but because God has allowed me to experience these things and I'm not special. If you opened your eyes, what we called this week at camp was Awake 2023. If you awakened yourself to the spiritual realities that are all around you, you would enjoy the miracles of God on a crazy different level. So here we go. I like to be even more practical. What do we do with this stuff, with this information, with Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20? How do, we, how do we become this? Well, here's your challenge. Maybe some of you will join me on this challenge, okay? Maybe you could take your phone out and take pictures of this while I go through this. But this is a seven-day routine. When I learned how to run marathons, um, what my trainer gave me, which is my friend, is he gave me a routine. He says, you got to go out and you got to run this much this day. And you got to go out and you got to run this much the next day. And faith is a muscle. It's a muscle that we have to stretch. And so this is, this is your challenge. This is your training routine. This is how you become a self-feeder. First thing is this. You guys already got this one down. Sunday, go to church. And then after church, actually rest. Remember that Sunday is the Lord's day. It's supposed to be a day in which we recuperate for the rest of the day. Rest is a spiritual practice. Make sure that you're resting in those things. And then on, on, the, on the other days, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, which are the even days, the odd days. Monday, sit down and read your Bible for 20 minutes. Monday, sit down and read your Bible for 20 minutes. Do that. Don't stop when you just keep reading. You can read big old chunks of scripture in 20 minutes time and 20 minutes is not that long. Just sit down and read it. On Wednesday, evangelize. Now this is the scary one. Tell someone else about Jesus. It's funny right now that this is so hard for us to understand that we need to be doing. I think one of the biggest tricks that Satan has played on the church and has convinced people of is that people who love Jesus don't need to talk about him. Yeah, we do. There's a lot of people who say, you know, hey, you know, share the gospel always in every way. And if necessary, use words. Let me help you out. It's always necessary to use words. We're not just a bunch of moral people, you know. It's like, wow, look at how moral we are. No. In fact, most of us are not very moral sometimes. That's all the more reason to share the hope of a savior. Because it's sinners who need saviors. 
So we need to share the hope. Use, use your, your social media to share the hope of Christ. Text message somebody. Invite them to church. Use the words that God gave you to tell them about the hope that you have in Jesus. We will never get the revolution, the Jesus revolution that we all long for. We will never get the revival if all we do is just act good and hope people notice. We have to tell them why we have this hope in Jesus. So on Wednesday, figure out a way to evangelize. Let's bring that back. On Friday, thanking prayers. This is where you just thank God for everything that's going on for 20 minutes. Sit down and eat that kale, right? 20 minutes, discipline. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for this. You can repeat yourself, you know? God, but just, just give yourself 20 minutes of prayer. And then on the even days, do this. On Tuesday, ask for asking prayers for 20 minutes. This is where you ask for all the different things. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for provision. Ask for all the different people who are sick in your life. Ask for 20 minutes. Like I said, you can repeat yourself. It's okay, but I want you to discipline yourself for 20 minutes. Bible study for 20 minutes. Now, the first one was like, read your Bible for 20. This is actually just try to study it. Try to figure out what's going on in there. You can read books about the Bible in this moment and to really understand the theology of what's going on. And then on Saturday, the last day before the Lord's Day, what I want you to do is I want you to list the things that God did that week. Start writing them down. Start recognizing the presence of God. I'm gonna spend the next seven days doing this. If you wanna do this with me, please text me, slide into my DMs, come up to me afterwards and say, I'm with you. Let's do it for seven days. And let's see what God does with seven days of self-feeding. All right? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for camp. And I thank you for all the work that you did out there. I thank you for the 16 souls who said yes to you for the first time, the 38 who went public with their faith, and all the rest who recommitted their lives to you, Jesus. God, I pray that it wouldn't just be a feeling, but it would be something that sustains in them. God, I pray that this year you double the size of our discipleship team. God, as we think and we pray and we hope that you will bring about revival, let us be willing to do the work of the revival and let us witness what you have been in our lives. We love you, Jesus. We long to be disciples who make disciples. It's in your name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen.